Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. It's it's very suburban, um, and it's very diffuse, and um, and it's a lot of Italian American. That place my guest this week, Erica Marcus, is describing is Long Island, which is the focus of this episode of Hot Takes on a Plate. I'm Rob Patron at Rob Patron TV on social media, and I'm the host of Hot Takes on a Plate, which is part of the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Now, each week on Hot Takes on a Plate, you get to eavesdrop on the ultimate food fights as I hang with my culinary world friends and other eating enthusiasts debating each in their area of expertise. And Erica Marcus's area of expertise is Long Island. She's been a food reporter and critic at Newsday for more than two decades. We were once competitors, so to speak, competitors in that we were both covering food on Long Island. But where we were different is that I was doing a TV show where Besides being a storyteller, my job was to curate things. I was not a critic because you can't be a critic bringing TV cameras in tow. It's just not how it works. And Erica, in addition to being a reporter at Newsday, she has also been a critic. And no one has more hot takes than a critic. I mean, the whole job is to have opinions and voice them. Now, as you'll hear, this food fight, it meandered a little bit. At times, Erica was steering the ship, taking us into other hot take territory and maybe that's what makes this show a bit different from more traditional debate shows i'm okay with getting off topic i actually want to hear what my guests have to say for me it's not about winning an argument as much as it is using my hot takes as a jumping off point for interesting discussions with smart people and that's that's what happened here we went really deep dive on the topic of being a critic, the job of being a critic, a little later in the conversation. It was something I could have built this whole episode around, to be honest. But it just, I didn't want to do that. Instead, it just sort of happened organically, and I'm glad it did. Because really what I wanted to build this episode around was Long Island Dining. And the reason is, at least early on in this show's existence, a lot of my audience, probably more than half of my audience, is going to be from Long Island, and that's because that's where I made my name in the food world with the show I hosted, Restaurant Hunter. It started on Long Island in 2011. So really, this episode, it is playing to the base. I thought those people who have followed me over the years from Long Island would find it really interesting to hear these two voices that they, if they follow food, they're really familiar with, that they've never heard interacting like this in a public way. I mean, Erica and I have interacted over the years privately and and discussed what we see. It's what, you know, food journalists, food media do, but never publicly like this because we worked at competing outlets. And so if you're from Long Island, we're going to name drop a lot of restaurants. You're going to get dining tips. You're also going to get really great insight into how the, the sausage is made when it comes to food storytelling, so to speak. And if you're not from Long Island, it's still a really interesting listen because One, Long Island is a very unique place. It's not a typical suburb. It's got its own culture, its own identity. And I think that in and of itself is really fascinating to hear about. But also, a lot of what we talk about, it's universal. There's a lot of topics that could apply to other places and to other things. So if you're not from Long Island, it's still definitely worth a listen. Now, I decided to go really hot with my first take, which was kind of a shot at her work. It's actually the most controversial thing she does at Newsday each year. And boy... Did it go off the rails? 
you know how much I respect your work. I think there are there probably is nobody at this point on the planet who knows more about Long Island dining, who is more articulate about it, more educated about it. And yet. And yet. (laughs) (laughs) So every year you do a list of the top 10 pizza places worth a drive. Yes. Am I getting the name right there? Is that yep, that's what you yep. call it? Okay. And there's a reason I call it that, but I'll get to that. Yes. So you're saying these are destination worthy. Correct. Go out of your way. And this year you did something I actually really appreciated, which is for the first time, I think you they weren't all brick oven places. Well, I have a big issue with the term brick oven, but we oh, can talk about okay, that later. Okay. So um, you, you have made a point in the past to say these are not slice shops. Correct. And... That is something that I've had an issue with because to me, a slice shop can be destination worthy. It can be something you go out of your way for. I think there are just emotional attachments, one, to those things that you grew up eating. And I think there are, especially on Long Island, some slice shops that do things at just a different level than the average corner spot. And so, and I also think with some of these brick oven, you know, quote unquote places, while the food is good, it's starting to become a little repetitive where some of these pies sort of blend together. And I actually think, especially now, uh, you're seeing a lot of creativity coming out of the slice shops. And so to me, slice shops can be just as destination worthy as a brick oven spot. Tell me why I'm right. Tell me why I'm wrong. Well, you're right and you're wrong. Okay. Uh, (laughs) Um. So, and promise me that at some point we can talk about um, the term brick oven. Okay. But let's leave that aside for the moment. Um, Part of the problem is um, it's a logistical problem. There are probably, I don't know, somewhere maybe 500, 1,000 slice shops on Long Island. How could I possibly get to all of them and render any sort of an authoritative judgment? Someone calls me and says, I live in Center Reach. There's this amazing pizzeria. You know, I I live in Lido Beach. I live in Shirley. You know, there are too many of them. And look, that is another detour we can take because I think being a critic is one of the hardest things you can do because of what you just said. You can't be everywhere. And then I also want to point up what you said about the emotional attachment. I mean, every time I write this story, uh, the the most challenging thing about writing this story is not the list of 10. It's the disclaimer paragraph (laughs) that I put at the beginning that nobody ever reads. And what I always say is, like, if you live in... you know, if you live in New Hyde Park, I am not telling you don't go to Umberto's. I'm not telling people in Mineola don't go to Cugini. I'm not telling people not to go to Emilio's or Brancinelli's or any of those places. It's just that a lot of these slice shops that have really good pizza, you're going to find a comparable pizzeria pretty close to you. And you don't need me to tell you where that is there are probably okay i'm i'm gonna go out on a limb here there probably are 10 greatest slice shops on long island where the classic pies really are the best and the slices are the best i have no i would have to quit my job to find those places and put together a list that i could stand behind so 
I'm going to disagree with you on the idea that you can find a comparable slice to the best Sicilian or whatever. Like my baseline is this. If we're talking about 10 best, what are the 10 pizzas I crave the most? Yeah. And to me, if I'm making that list, it is not going to be 10 pies that all fit in the same category. So like to me, a Sicilian from Umberto's would make that list. Um, You know, I don't know if you've ever had the vodka Sicilian at at King Umberto, but that that is a different level of Sicilian. It's light. It doesn't compare to your corner slice shop Sicilian. Or look, you included the Metro this year. The Metro to me, yeah. at King Umberto, that pie is the best pizza right now on Long Island. That is that is my have you hands been to down. Pizzerita? Which one is that? Have you been to Wildside? I okay. I mean, I get what you're saying. Look, you, you're right, like, I get to the right. I, 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 I get that. I get that. There's there's too many to get to, but. I think about like when my just like gut reaction, like when I make top 10 lists, because I've had to do this stuff too. And I don't love doing it for the reason that you said you can't yeah. be everywhere at once. Right. But when I do it, I try to think of what am I craving? Like what just sticks out that I don't have to think too deeply about. And to me, well, that's maybe a variety that's the difference. of things. I really do think deeply. Well, I think deeply, but my point is the sometimes the, the the right choice is the obvious choice. So if you sit here and say, All right, I'm in the mood for pizza, what am I in the mood for? The things that jump out at you are probably the best things. The things that you have to dig and read and go, well, what was I eating six months ago or nine months ago? If you have to think that hard about it, it probably didn't sit with you the way something that just is always on the, the, the front of your brain does. Well, I mean, maybe the problem is my own taste. You know, here's a little insider thing. Every year I say to my editor, could we just do a list of margarita pies because it's apples to apples and really that, that's a fair point. There is nothing better than a margarita pie. But, you know, Newsday, we're we're vis- we're a visual paper, we're a visual website, scrolling through ten pictures of identically, you know, of margarita pies is not a good reason. But even experience. with the margarita pie, that that's showing bias toward the brick oven. And this is a good segue for you to explain your brick oven point, but you know, not that slice joints don't do margaritas, but that's not their wheelhouse. So it's show, you know, you could be a, a slice joint with a deck oven that cares about the dough more than a quote unquote brick oven place. You could. But um, first of all, if I were going to do slice shops, I would do the regular slice. You know, I mean, that right. is arguably a margarita. I'm saying tomato cheese crust. Um, Brick oven is a meaningless term. It describes what the the what does the brick describe i think to most people when they hear the term brick oven they think of the heat source so it usually describes either wood or coal or a gas assist with wood and or coal okay i mean we're gonna need a whole podcast just for this (laughs) to me like it's all about the source of the fuel Brick oven, when I see brick oven, I think it's someone who's using the term brick oven as a marketing term. Um, people will take a gas oven and put a brick face right. on the front of it and call it a brick oven. You've got a gas deck oven. You can make a fantastic pie in yes. a gas oven, as King Umberto's yes. is, um, is proving. So you need to have... I'm, I just never want to hear the term brick oven again. I'm interested in the term wood-burning oven. And yes. I'm interested in the term coal-fired oven. And what I do, I have this thing I call it pizza patrol. I walk into a place that <laughs> says that it's got a wood-burning oven. And I try to get as close to the oven as possible. 
And often they've positioned it so that they're trying uh, to make it so that I can't see the line of gas jets um, <laughs> behind the grate that, you know, are the proof of a gas uh, of a gas oven. Sometimes there'll be a log smoldering on the other side. But does it matter that much? It doesn't matter that much. The lie matters. Right. You exactly. know, um, Naples Street Food which you've been to, right? Yeah, it's fantastic. Fantastic. They opened, that's in Franklin Square, and they opened up a second joint in Oceanside, um, and they got an electric oven. And it's fantastic. The pizza there is every bit as good as the wood-fired pizza um, in Franklin Square, although the owners might, might not agree with me. But it's the lie that I can't stand. All right, so next topic. Okay. <laughs> we went long on that one, and I knew we would, and that's fine. All right, so to the outside world, I think most people, when they think of Long Island, they think of it as the a bastion of red sauce, Italian-American food, which it is. And, of course, seafood because they think of the coast. But to me, where Long Island really excels in 2020, and I don't know if you would, would have said this five or ten years ago, it's restaurants opened by immigrants from places like the Middle East, India, and China. I mean, Stony Brook with the influx of Chinese students who are there who then stay and open up, you know, hand-pulled noodle shops and and soup dumpling places. Uh, obviously, Broadway and Hicksville, the proliferation of regional Indian restaurants. I mean, dosas, you name it. The proximity to Queens and, and how a lot of people keep migrating out and, you know, all the halal places that are opening now and you can find great Turkish food and Afghan food. To me, if we're if you're trying to generalize Long Island to me right now, you, you're talking about Chinese, you're talking about Indian and you're talking about Middle Eastern Persian. That is what Long Island really does best right now. Tell me I'm right. Tell me I'm wrong. You're right. That's simple. <laughs> I, I say that all the time. I will take issue with one thing you said earlier, um, seafood restaurants. We have terrible seafood restaurants. But people think yes. Long Island but has great but, but seafood restaurants. It, it is, I'm not saying that they do. Yeah. It's just the the perception. Right. But, but the, you're, no, you're right, because there are a lot of seafood restaurants in Long Island that are literally on the water yeah. that are getting frozen fish from who knows where. Yeah. I mean, we are the red sauce, um, the red sauce charge, you know, guilty as charged. Great seafood restaurants, not so much. Um, yeah, I agree. What the what makes my job, the, the best thing about my job is being able to tell people about these great uh, restaurants opened by immigrant chefs. Um, and I would say Chinese, Indian, Pakistani, Afghan, Turkish, and I'm glad you used the word immigrant because one of my pet peeves is when people describe restaurants as ethnic. Yeah. I, I cringe when I go to Whole Foods and see the ethnic food aisle. I, I mean, what first off, what is ethnic and why is it not? If, if you want to really ethnic like... Ethnic is not you. Right, exactly. <laughs> you don't ever see Italian or French lumped into ethnic. Uh, it's always, you know, a, a, a more quote-unquote minority group lumped into that. And so it, that's a term that I... You know, uh, when when we did Restaurant Hunter, I ba I banned that term yeah. from ever coming on our air. Uh, the problem is, I mean, you're right, and uh, it's also true that at one point Italian would have been considered ethnic right. food. Um, you know, the problem is people do sort of know what you mean when you say ethnic yeah. food, and we say global food. Um, and you know, an immigrant isn't a perfect term either because some what of these people are exactly, some of these people are born in the United States. But in this case I think a lot of them 
these restaurants we're talking about literally are immigrant. True. Um, but if someone emigrated from, you know, Scotland or um, or, very or France, point. we wouldn't call it an immigrant restaurant. I mean, no one calls Mirabelle an immigrant restaurant right. because Guy Rouge was born in That's a Orléans. really good point. I mean, maybe we need to stop lumping restaurants together well, that I mean, are... I get paid to lump restaurants together. <laughs> that is, my job is lumping. <laughs> All right, People so, need so lumps. Segwaying from lumping into a singular thing. So people always ask me, and I'm sure they ask you the same question with your job, what's your favorite restaurant? And it's the the answer that it's just like, how do you answer favorite restaurants? So instead, I want to throw this at you. Another thing that Long Island is obviously really good at, it's those old school places that have perfected a handful of dishes. And to me, no restaurant represents that better. Than Bigelow's? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Bigelow's, you just read my mind. So to me, Bigelow's. Well, tell the people what Bigelow's. So has yes, I'm going to tell big people what Bigelow's is. So Bigelow's to me is the perfect Long Island restaurant. I'm not going to say it's the best, but it's the perfect Long Island restaurant. And why I say that is this: so Bigelow's, it's in Rockville Center on the South Shore of Long Island, uh, Nassau County. It you walk, it's this, it's a shack that dates back to the 1930s, New England style clam shack. When you walk in the door. It's that got that nautical sort of like you're on vacation, old school feel. It's got a U-shaped counter with the kitchen in the middle. I you're, call it a lean, mean frying machine. Yes. And you sit down and you're elbow to elbow often with strangers. But these are strangers that are just as excited as you to be there. It's one of those places where you might leave with a few friends. And what Bigelow's does best, they have a handful of things that they're, they've just perfected. They're, the the fried Ipswich clams are just, they're greaseless. They're perfect. The hand-cut fries, they bang them out in that towel before yep. they serve them. The, the New England clam chowder, they make it like four times a day. It is fresh. It's incredible. And... You know, they make their own tartar sauce, make their own cocktail sauce. The Andreolis family has owned it since I think the 90s now. And one of them is always there. Yeah. And to me, because of all of that. I got to put in a plug for the Manhattan clam chowder, too, for those of you who like Manhattan clam chowder. I, I, You're I, not one of them. No, I'm, I'm a New England. I, I, I am, too. It's the but, only New England thing I like. Let's put it that way. But the thing, a lot of Manhattan clam chowders are just like minestrone with clams. They actually They're tomato make, soup. Yeah, they, they make a really good Manhattan clam chowder. Just, just saying. But they are, to me, the perfect Long Island restaurant. Tell me why I'm right. Tell me why I'm wrong. You're right. I mean, look, I guessed... I guess you were yeah. going to say them before you said it. I love, I love Bigelow's. I mean, I I'm in danger of writing too much about Bigelow's. I was in danger I'd, about putting uh, of putting them on my show too much. I actually had to sort of put a moratorium on it because every time I did, I when I would rate my restaurants at the end of the year, they'd end up number one because I just love it that much. Yeah, we we put them on the cover of our magazine. Um, yeah, I love Bigelow's. Um, so what other places like that? All right. Now I'm going to, this is what you, this is like totally off the cuff, not thinking deeply, um, sort of in the opposite direction is market bistro in Jericho. It's like a new American bistro. I, I don't know why there aren't 20 restaurants like it on Long Island where, um, it's good wine list it's good beer list it's a nice bar. Um, uh, the chef, um, Chuck Treadwell, um, it is a very good restaurant, good burger. Everything's good there. And it's, it's modern and it's approachable. Can I take a stab friendly. at that as to why there isn't, I can give you my theory. Well, I think the, it's the market. People, people don't 
want that. Uh, yes and no, because they've had success yes, from they what have. I can tell. I, I think part of it is you have, uh, so there's a handful of, and you're seeing more of this now, which is a good thing on Long Island. There's a handful of places like that where you are chef driven and the chef actually knows what he or she is doing. And there's a there's a the care about it. But more and more, most Long Island restaurants fit into a couple of categories, either what we were talking about before, those those immigrant places where it's one cuisine, one thing. They know what they're doing and they, they excel at it. But then on the flip side, there's a lot of what I call concept-driven places on Long Island where the owners are really in it to make a buck and less in it from a passion standpoint. They're going, what's the trend? What's hot? Let's throw something together. And to me, I don't know why you would ever enter the restaurant or hospitality business if your main objective is to make a buck because you can make a buck a lot easier <laughs> with a lot less effort than than the restaurant business. Like if the, the passion isn't there, I mean, why do you think we have so many oversized milkshake places so many burger places so the you know every, you know hey let's do a, a southern infused chicken and waffle place uh, everybody's trying to grab onto a trend and to me that's not i, I mean tell well I, I the reason the reason why i brought up market bistro is the chef driven passion project um that's a category um I mean, where I would put um, uh, Blackbird Kitchen and Cocktails, Perennial perennial in Garden City. Please, people, if you're within the sound of my voice, go to Perennial. Um, uh, Off the Block in in Sayville. Um, You know, Market Bistro, which predates all of them. The reason why I brought it up is because it's, it's not quite as, as chef, driven it's it, it's it's more got, approachable yeah it's more approachable it's it doesn't make a big deal of the farm to take you know it's just um i don't think you could duplicate um perennial without peter i don't think you can duplicate blackbird like without spring without jesse exactly but you i think that uh the concept of market bistro is so solid and it's been there for so long and you know chuck's always there but they have you know cooks coming in and out i think that that is something that there could be more of and i i just i just wish there were okay so now to me the most long island of long island dining trends and it's been this way for a long time is steak and sushi a steakhouse that also serves sushi and i hate it I hate it because it, they're two very different disciplines. Like, you know, to me, a classic steakhouse, like, like, I just, it just feels like, hey, everybody wants these two things and they're quote unquote luxury and we're going to throw them together. Like, I'd rather go to a place like a Peter Luger that is literally a steakhouse. And if I want to get sushi, I will do that another night. I don't need both at the same time. I just, I, and I'm never really that impressed with sushi at a steakhouse. So, I, Tell me I'm right. Tell me I'm wrong. Steak and sushi just I just infuriates me as a trend. Well, you're right. But um, steak and sushi restaurants aren't made for the people who want steak and sushi. They're made for the person who wants steak who is dining with the person who wants sushi. That's I mean, as it happens, yes, there are people who want like a sushi appetizer and then they get a steak. But I think 
it's more um, to accommodate a party of people who aren't all into steak. My, I mean, a lot of these sushi places, though, I mean, if we can segue into something else that drives me crazy, um, sushi on Long Island, it's not even about fish anymore. It's about these crazy rolls that... The Americanized yeah, they, sushi. Well, they may have some fish in it, but, you know, I just, um, I reviewed uh, Kotobuki um, at the end of the year because every year when we do our list of 10 best sushi restaurants, I get a lot of mail saying, I'm not even looking at this list because Kotobuki isn't on it. So every year I dutifully go to Kotobuki to just, you know, prove to myself that I don't think it be belongs on the list. And this year or last year I decided, well, I'm, I'm really going to, I'm really going to take a deep dive and I'm going to re-review it. And what I found when I talked to the owner of Kotobuki is he said, you know, we found that um, people on Long Island, they don't really like the taste of fish. So we we do these rolls where they don't really have to taste the fish. You know, they taste the mango sauce. They're and trying the to make money, crumbs. which is the yeah. whole point. Right. And why shouldn't they make money? I'm trying to make money. I mean, I don't do what I do as a charitable um, gesture, but... Um, Mostly the sushi restaurants, and this includes the sushi bars at the steakhouses, they're doing these elaborate rolls that are sweet and crunchy and mushy and only vaguely connected to fish. So people like that. People like sweet, mushy, and crunchy. But I think you are hitting on something that's like a, a broader thing, which is that the job of the critic is a very hard one because you, by design have to know more about food than your audience. Like you're 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 an expert for for lack of a better term. It's just like if you're covering sports, you better know a lot about sports or you're covering whatever politics. So you have done so many deep dives into this whereas the average diner just wants to eat something. And so in a way, it's like sometimes a especially when you're talking about a place like Long Island, sometimes a critic's perspective is going to be different than the audiences. And it's a hard thing to square because you're not trying, you're trying to be objective, but being a critic is subjective. It's your opinion. And so it's just such, I mean, that that's a hard thing to square sometimes, is it not? Um, yeah, it's a really hard thing to square. And I'm always mindful, or I, I should always be mindful, that when you say something negative about a restaurant, you're also saying something negative about the people who like that restaurant. So I have just told people who like Kotobuki that they're wrong. I, it's not that I've insulted Kotobuki. It's that right. I've insulted the people who love Kotobuki, and, and I apologize. Um, but I'm, I, I view my job as um, educating as well as opining, and... I also feel like part of my job is giving cover to places that are trying to do a better job and they really can't explain themselves to people. Like they can't come out and say, um, uh, they can't come out and say, well, the reason why we don't have tomatoes right now is because they're not in season. And, um, yeah, the restaurant next door says that everything is organic, but they're lying. You know, for whatever you think of my taste, I do try to be objective in terms of my reporting. And, you know, someone has to hold restaurants account when they um, when they don't tell the truth. It's a challenge because look, I, I try to approach it as 
you know, food is very democratic and everybody's tastes are different. And I try not to, even though I might disagree, I try not to judge other people's tastes. Look, if I, my wife is one of those people who will take the soy sauce and do the slurry with the ginger and the wasabi. And I've, you know, explained to her that that's not how it's done in Japan, but it makes her happy. And you know what? Fine. If we're in our living room and whatever, it's fine. It's not the end of the world. If that's, if it makes her happy, fine. Well, that's what food should do. Right. And, but you know, the, the thing about it is, is I think when we're talking about trying to educate people, the challenge is food costs money. Dining out costs money. So to say to somebody sometimes, Hey, Go to that restaurant and try this thing that is so far out of your comfort zone. And by the way, plunk down $30, $40 on it. People don't want to do that. And I don't really blame them. I think that's – look, that's where people like us come in handy because maybe they can kind of read about it or visually see it and go, oh, I think I would like that. But it's it's a challenge. Okay, so last one. I want to end on a real hot take here. Okay. I'm curious to see what you what think about What could be hotter one. than pizza? Okay, well – people don't think of coffee when they think of Long Island. Yeah. They think of a place like Brooklyn. But they should think of coffee. I think some of the best coffee roasters out there right now, I'm not talking globally or whatever, but just I think the the best coffee roasters on Long Island yeah. are better than the ones I've had in Brooklyn. You know, you think about places like Flux Coffee in Farmingdale, South Down, which has two locations. I think South Down's coffee is fantastic. And if you get to know them and you speak to them, you see the the craft and the passion. Giorgio's in Farmingdale, Gentle Brew in Long Beach, Aldo's in Greenpoint, or excuse me, Greenport, which um, Aldo's, if you ever get to meet, have you met Aldo? Yes, I've met Aldo. He is a character. And <laughs> sure you know, he's doing, I'm not even a dark roast person. I tend to like lighter roast, but I make an exception for him. His, um... I, I am a dark roast person, and my house coffee, um, which I just gave you, is a Trader Joe's Five Country Fair Trade Espresso Blend. But if I'm out in Greenport, I will buy Aldo's Espresso. That is my favorite espresso on the face of the earth. But those places I just mentioned, like I'd rather, and not only that, the, a lot of them that are coffee shops, I'd rather hang out there than some of these trendier places in Brooklyn. Tell me I'm right. Tell me I'm wrong. I completely agree with you. I also like Tent Coffee and Shirley. Um, I'm, I'm sure I'm forgetting. I mean, you name. There's some new ones, I think, out on the East End. Well, that I know oh, I'm yeah. Well, there's North Fork Roasters in Southhold. Um, they're terrific. Um, and you know, Hampton coffee company is terrific. Um, but, uh, South down and the food at South down is fantastic. They have a fantastic breakfast sandwich. They, I just had the breakfast tacos for the first time. No, I, I wish I could disagree with you, Rob, but I, I agree. I and mean, you see some of these coffee shops in Brooklyn that, you know, look not, to be a coffee shop, you don't have to roast your own beans and have your own brand, but a lot of them, they're not serving these coffees they're serving things that are more city centric and i know look a lot of it is reputation and name and but i'd rather have like south downs coffee i'd rather have than some of these other brands that you see around here well listen erica thank you so much uh if you are somebody who is on long island make sure to read her in newsday she is a valuable source of information you and you... follow us on uh follow us on instagram at at Newsday, what's our handle? At Newsday Feed Me. And again, I think we hit on it earlier, uh, just to kind of sum this up. 
don't if you're somebody who who's listening to this who who does not live on Long Island, don't dismiss it because you if if you there are destination worthy places to eat on Long Island. We mentioned Bigelow's. I would drive to eat at Bigelow's. Uh, King Umberto is another one. Just for that metro pizza and the fried capellini, which defies logic, and 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 also the the warm gregarious service you get, where everybody feels like a regular at both of those places. And then if you were to go to Broadway in Hicksville, I know Edison, New Jersey, gets a lot of publicity for its little India, but check out Broadway in Hicksville if you're out, you know, on the North Fork. If you're heading, you know, toward the North Fork on the way, maybe make a detour in Stony Brook, like for Chinese food. Long Island is, is way more diverse of a culinary landscape than people give it credit for. Well and said. Yeah. So again, Erica, thank you so much. Thank you, Rob. Okay. Thanks to Erica Marcus of Newsday for joining me. Now, every episode I end with a dining tip because, again, that's what I'm known for is giving out dining tips. And I give dining tips that relate to the topic that we've been discussing all episode, the topic being Long Island, of course. And I didn't want to just give one dining tip. I actually wanted to give two here because they're both places I wish I had mentioned during the episode when we were talking about these topics. And just I just happened not to, but they're fantastic places you should check out. Now, the first one, when we're talking about the wealth of great Indian and Middle Eastern food on Long Island, I have to mention Masala Grill in Huntington Station. If you know the area, it's across from the Walt Whitman Mall. It's a it's a small standalone storefront, not attached to a strip mall or anything. Doesn't have a lot of seating. It's primarily a, t- a takeout spot, but you you can order at the counter and sit down. In fact, I would encourage you to because anytime you have a chance to eat food fresh from the source versus traveling with it, that's always better. And I'm sure that'll be a hot take. We'll get into another time, but uh, the owner. Jana Sohail, she she's fantastic. Uh, the restaurant is Indian and Pakistani. Now, India and Pakistan they share a border. Uh, they actually, you know, Pakistan was actually used to be part of India until the 1940s. And the food, it's if you're familiar with Indian food, it, it's familiar. It's it's the roster of things that you know and love. There's different curries, and there are. I mean, the, the the breads, the naan, the paratha, the roti, all fantastic. My favorite thing to get there is the lamb and eggplant curry. It's just a roller coaster of flavors. It's smoky, and it's got just this depth of spice and flavor, and you scoop it up with, if, you, if you're a paratha person, a naan person, a roti person, you scoop it up with that. You got some fantastic rice. Uh, her biryani is great as well. Masala Grill, Huntington Station, fantastic place. And the other one that I forgot to bring up during the show, Erica and I, of course, talked a lot about pizza, and I made my argument for why slice joints should be considered destination-worthy. And I forgot to mention one of the most, if not the most, destination-worthy slice shop on all of Long Island, a place called Tolucci's in Farmingdale. This is a new-school slice shop with old-school pedigree. Uh, The owner, Danielle Catafo, Uh, Her dad owned pizzerias while she was a kid, and so she grew up in the business, but she's doing it differently. You walk in, it's the white subway tile, it's very sleek, everything looks really great. She does a lot of unique sort of slices. She does a a deep dish rigatoni alla vodka, which kind of sounds gimmicky, but it's not. 
it's there's just there's the sauce is just really really good and it's it's a it's a hearty sort of slice it's a it's a meal in a slice she does a bacon egg and cheese slice she's right across from from a college uh her location and so the the bacon egg and cheese it's like a breakfast pizza it, it's i mean it makes sense right bacon egg and cheese on bread that's what it is but really the thing there that i think stands out the most it's it's not one of these kind of unique different slices it's her grandma her grandma slice she's using fresh mozzarella on it and it's creamy and the crust is fantastic it's not a traditional grandma it's the evolution of the grandma and Tolucci's is a place I could not recommend more. Definitely check out Tolucci's in Farmingdale if you are ever on Long Island. Okay. Thank you so much for listening. You can find me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Rob Patron TV. Let me know what you think of the show there. And of course, make sure to follow, subscribe, bookmark, whatever you do on your podcast listening service of choice. So you don't miss any new episodes and if you can rate us, please do five stars, of course, and tell your friends. Share if you like what you just heard. Let's get the word out there. Hot Takes on a Plate is part of the Believe Podcast Network. That's B-L-E-A-V. Check them out at B-L-E-A-V.com. If you believe in Hot Takes on a Plate, we'll see you next week. I'm Rob Patrone at Rob Patrone TV on social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Share your hot takes with me. Maybe I'll address them in a future episode. Till next time, ciao. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.